Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 128. Psalm 128 is a psalm and a collection of psalms that are called the Psalm of the Ascents. We'll kind of explain that. Uh, this collection starts in Psalm 120, goes all the way through 134. So we got about 15 of these songs. And the reason why they're called songs of ascent because these were the songs or uh, psalms or songs that were written for the nation of Israelite to recite or to sing on their way to Jerusalem as was their custom three times a year. So they had these songs, this collection that was theirs, and a couple things that it did. One, it, it united them. And we have those things too. We have, like, our national anthem. It, it, we sing it at ball games. It unites us. School fight songs. Anytime you, you've got, you're at a game and you need a rally, you've got this school fight song to get everybody's spirits up. Um, I remember that one of the, my, the, the best games I'd ever been to was Mississippi State in Auburn a few years ago. Mississippi State was ranked three in the nation, about to uh, try to take over uh, Auburn, which was uh, number two in the nation, and it was storming. It was crazy. Blaine and I was there, and the rain, it didn't matter because we were all there, and we didn't know each other. Uh, Blaine and I knew each other, but everybody around us, it didn't matter who was around us because we were all there to cheer on our team. And we uh, hollered and shouted, and it was a way to unite people. But also, it helps us to remember things. If you look at the Psalms of the Sense, um, 120 to 134, these are Psalms that are filled with essential truths of our faith, truths about hope, truths about forgiveness, about uh, God, and uh, about children and our family, and about the hope that we have in the Lord. And so they sang these, they recited these to remember who God is is and what he's done for the nation of Israel. And so uh, one of the reasons this is important is because we have a tendency of forgetting. We have a tendency of forgetting what God has done for us. And so he has this collection of psalms to help them remember the truths that are necessary to live out the mission of God. So keep that in mind as, as we read this together. Verse 1 says the song of a sense. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Verse 5, it says, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children and peace be upon Israel. So before we address this, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your word that you've provided that for us. Lord, I pray for the Holy Spirit to, to help us understand and help us to see your truth and your word. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, Lord, and speak to us today. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So as we walk through this together, remember uh, these psalms in this, in this collection, this, this, this passage, these were written for people to uh, recite and to quote as they went up to Jerusalem. And so as we walk through this, kind of keep that in mind that it was written to remind us of uh, essential truth. So we, the first thing that this passage points to, we see in verse 1, it says, blessed is 
everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his way. So the first thing this is pointing to is a faithful father. The reason we know that it's written directly to a father because the rest of the passage uh, points to that. It says, verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus shall the man be blessed. So we know this is referring to the father, the husband. And so the first thing we see is that it points to a faithful father that's manifested in two ways. A faithful father is manifested in number one, A, the fear of the Lord. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. A faithful father proves himself to be faithful through his fear to the Lord. Now, I've heard this all my life that of, of, about the fear of the Lord, that we are to fear God and, ha- and to serve him. But what does that mean? And one of the things that I've always heard growing up that the fear of the Lord refers to is reverence and respect. And I don't know if you're like me, I just don't understand that. Or, or I've never really believed that, that the fear of God means to respect and to give reverence to him. Because when I think about fear, I think about fear. I think about being afraid. You know, I hate some of the things I'm afraid of. I hate spiders. I hate snakes. I'm not, I'm not going to grab one unless it's dead. That's not me. Because I know what they can do to me. So there's, a, there's this healthy fear, but when I look at the Lord, I don't really equate that to, to the fear of the Lord. So I don't, it's hard for me to understand. And so if you ever come, I just want to encourage you, if you ever come to a passage in Scripture that you don't really understand, that you don't know, I want to encourage you to, one, first go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to reveal Himself to you, to give you wisdom and understanding and knowledge of what the truth in Scripture is. And then study it. A lot of times we, we read something, we may or may not understand it, and then we put it aside, we don't really think about it. I want to encourage you, if there's something in Scripture that you're not really sure about, ask the Lord to reveal Himself to you, to speak to you through that, and then study it. There's so many tools available to us today that we can look and we can see the historical context and understand where He's coming from. There's an incredible tool, it's called Logos, and you can go to Logos, L-O-G-O-S dot com, and download this software that helps you get some biblical uh, context, historical context that surrounds verses uh, to help you understand the meaning. That is access, you have access access to that. Uh, there's paid subscriptions version of that, but there's also a basic free version that you can download yourself. You can go to blueletterbible.org and can, and can do word studies on, on different passages of scripture and get commentaries on, on people who have studied the word of God and written about it. And you can you read that and you can understand and begin to understand the context. You don't have to have a, uh, a master's degree in Hebrew to hear from the Lord in the Old Testament. You don't have to have a, a master's degree in Greek to hear from the Lord in the New Testament. There are people who God has gifted and equipped who have already done that and given us tools that we can use to, to hear from the Lord and understand His Scripture. And through the Holy Spirit speaking to us who is alive and active in our life, we can hear from the Lord if we open His Word and read and study it. And so, in doing so, 
Psalm 28, it says, blesses everyone who fears the Lord. What does that mean? If you look at some of those commentaries, if you look at the, the Greek, uh, or excuse me, the Hebrew, uh, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the, the word fear comes from the Hebrew word Yahweh. I can't really roll my R's, so you can just imagine. Fear in the Old Testament is Yahweh. And if you look at what that means, it means reverence. It means respect. And so, one of the things that I've never really understood or believed, you do a little study, you can understand that in this context, that's what that means. And then you can do a little more research. Psalms 111 uses the same phrase. Verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord, the same phrase. Psalm 128.1, everyone who fears the Lord. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you look at the Greek word for fear here, it's the same. It's the same Yahweh. But then if you go back a little bit, verse 9, it says, He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. It says, holy and awesome is His name. The word awesome there is translated the same as the word fear. It's the same word, Yahweh. So that shows us that in this context that fear doesn't mean this terrified, afraid view of God. It means reverence and respect. So now we can get some context and we go to 128.1 and says, Everyone who fears the Lord is blessed. Everyone who has this reverence and respect for the Lord is blessed. But what, is, what does that mean? What does it mean to have reverence and respect for the Lord? Well, Craig Boising, who is, who is a seminary professor, he says this about this passage. He says, God has not come maliciously, but neither has he come permissively. And in between the two is grace. What he's saying is that God has not come maliciously. Uh, for those who are in Christ, Jesus has become the perpetuation of our sins. That means he's removed the wrath of God from us. So God looks at us. He sees Christ in us. So God hasn't come maliciously. We shouldn't be terrified of the Lord if you're in Christ. But neither has he come permissively. What he means by that is that just because Christ has removed the wrath of God from us doesn't mean we get to live however we want. All right? So we should have a respect, an attitude that flows into an outward form of obedience to the commands of Christ. We recognize in respect and reverence for the Lord what we're doing. We're recognizing the position of who God is. We see his character as God reveals himself to us. We see the position of God in his sovereignty, his majesty, his power, his holiness. And we see the position that we are in. And we see that we're in need of his grace and that he is worthy to be, he is worthy of our devotion and our reverence. That's what it means to fear the Lord. It's, it's a humble position to where we recognize who God is. And we see the position of his, of his sovereignty, His holiness. And we see where we are deserving and needing of a Savior. But it's the attitude, but it also flows into an outward expression of obedience. <coughs> Which leads us to the second part. 
Psalm 128 is points first to a faithful father that is manifested, it's, that manifests itself into the fear of the Lord, but second to some, a father who walks in obedience. Verse 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in all of his ways. Someone who fears the Lord, but then is also walking in obedience. Obedient to what? Obedience to the commands of Christ, as we see in Scripture. So what's important here is that we're in God's Word, that we know what He's called us to. So many people uh, don't know what God has called them to do because they haven't read His Word, and they don't see that in Scripture. So it's important that we know his word, that we get a plan, that we have a game plan, um, that we ha- if we don't have a target, if we don't have a goal, we'll never hit it every time. And so I want to encourage you to find that plan, whether it's getting up in the morning, finding a place, finding a time that where you can spend some time in God's word, asking him to reveal himself to you and, and leading you. And then walk in his ways. After you hear from the Lord, walk in his ways. Don't just read his word and put it down. Actually do what it says. That's what James calls us to do. So that we hear from him and then we walk step by step according to the scriptures. Verse 28 It says, as a result of this, so we fear the Lord, we walk in his ways, and as a result, it says, we'll be blessed. Verse 2, it says, you shall eat the fruit of your labor, of fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. That's the result of us fearing the Lord and walking in obedience. And he says, we will be blessed. But what does God bless us with? We see that. In this very next verse, verse 3, it says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus shall the man be blessed. So this is the second thing. First thing that this points to is a faithful father. Faithful father has manifested itself in the fear of the Lord and walking in obedience. But the second thing is that the blessing is your family. The blessing that God gives you for your faithfulness and walking according to Scripture is your family. It says your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. This is a picture of your wife and your family flourishing. It's not that you're living day by day just to survive, but you're living for the glory of the Lord so that your family can flourish and grow. So a couple things here. Because this is speaking to the father and speaking to the husband, I want to spend just a few moments looking at some of the roles and responsibilities that God has called us to as husbands and fathers. God has created uh, male and female equally, husbands and wives. You have equal worth to the Lord. We were created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. Genesis 1.26 says that we were created in His image. And so when it comes to the Lord, He looks at us equally and we have worth. He loves us the same. But He has created us with different responsibilities and roles that we are to fulfill as husbands and wives. So I just want to um, reference the responsibilities of the husband. First, I have uh, listed as the prophet. This is a metaphor, uh, of course, that God has called you as a husband to be a prophet prophet to your family. In the Old Testament, what was a prophet? In the Old Testament, a prophet was someone who received the word from the Lord and would deliver it to the people of Israel. 
He would hear from the Lord and then deliver that word to the people of Israel. Now we understand that, that everyone, because of Christ, has a personal relationship uh, with the Father. But the role and responsibility as a husband is to lead your family in, in truth. That you lead your family as the head of the household in spiritual maturity. We see in Genesis 1 and chapter 2 that God creates uh, the heavens and the earth. He creates Adam and gives him the law. What's the, what does he tell Adam to do in Genesis chapter 1? He says to tend the land, but you, you can eat of all of the fruit in the garden except what? Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the law. Up until, up until this point, that was the law. He gave it to Adam. Chapter 2, he creates Eve. But notice that he does not restate the law to Eve. And so we get to chapter 3. Eve is deceived, gets her husband to eat and disobey the Lord. Who's responsible? Adam is. Adam is responsible. Eve suffers some consequences of her actions, but Adam is held responsible because he is, God has initiated the husband to lead their family and to speak truth into their household. Second thing we see is that God has called the husband to protect her, his wife and his family. Colossians 3.19 says that tells the husband not to be harsh with your wife, both uh, physically and emotionally. Third thing is that the husband is to be the provider. First Timothy 5 says that a man who does not provide for his own household is worse than an unbeliever. And I read that and I'm like, what in the world can be worse than an unbeliever? And he says the man who does not provide for his own household. Now in that, that doesn't mean uh, that the woman, uh, the wife cannot work. That's, that's not what that is saying. But the burden of providing the necessities of life should be on the husband. And I encourage you, if, if, if you're struggling to put food on the table, but you're not doing anything about it, if you're struggling to provide a shelter for your family, but you're not doing anything about it, Scripture says that you're worse than an unbeliever. And I don't mean to beat up on you. There's a difference between somebody who's out of a job and, and searching and looking and trying to find jobs and somebody who doesn't even care. He says, if you're not willing to provide for your own family, it says you're worse than an unbeliever. And the last one is priest. Of course, this is another metaphor, and we understand in the Old Testament that the priest, uh, you, you would appear before the high priest once a year for the atonement of your sin in the Old Testament. So, because of Christ, Jesus has, is that atonement and sacrifice. If we look at Ephesians 5.2, uh, Ephesians 5.1 says that we are to be imitators of Christ, but 5.2 says, uh, put on a heart of love just as Christ has loved us and laid down his life for us. That's what God has called us as men and as husbands to do for our wives, to lay down our lives. There's so many men in the world today who want their marriage to die so they can live. They just want to be free. When God has called you to die to yourself so that your marriage and your family can thrive and flourish and live. Verse 3, 128. It says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots 
around your table. One of the responsibilities as a father is to disciple your kids. De- Deuteronomy 6 talks about how our responsibility, uh, one of the, the laws in the Old Testament is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Jesus said that this was the greatest commandment. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, it says that we should teach that to our children. That's our sole responsibility as a parent, to teach our kids about the love of the Lord and to love them with all our heart, soul, and mind. And in verse 7, this is what it says. It says that um, when we go about our day, when we sit on the couch, when we get up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, it says we should talk about these things and teach these to our children. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of us, a lot of men, this isn't true for everybody, but most, I would say that most men get up and go to work in the morning. Now, because of your job, you may go to work at night. But at some point, you get up, and you leave, and you go, you you leave your family, and you go to work to provide for your family. And then you come back. I think it's interesting that in Deuteronomy it says that you should teach these when you get up and when you lie down. If you're leaving your house in the morning and coming back in that evening, what opportunity do you have to teach your kids about the love of Christ? In the morning when you get up and at night when you lie down, take advantage of those opportunities that you have. Take advantage of the opportunities that God has given you to teach your kids and to train them in paths of righteousness. So in verse 4 it says, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed, he who fears the Lord and walks in obedience. Live for the fear of the Lord. Walk in obedience. And it says, your wife, your children will flourish and be blessed. And that's how you will be blessed. And so, as we continue, uh, verse 5, it says, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all of all the days of your life. And so just kind of explain this for a few moments. Zion originally was a Jebusite nation and before David uh, and the Israelites took over in the conquest and uh, Zion is where Jerusalem is. And so in the Old Testament, Zion, when you see the word Zion, it's referring to Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, it's it's uh, metaphorical to uh, the heavenly um, realm of God's people in Hebrews in Hebrews 12 it says this that we have not come to Mount Sinai but to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem so the implication for us in this passage it says that the Lord may bless you from Zion may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem God is building his church and this is a, just a prayer saying, may you be a part of that, that you, you may see the prosperity of Jerusalem, that you may see the, the rising of the kingdom of God that the Lord is building and using the church. May you be used by God in the advancement of his kingdom. In verse 6 it says, may you see your children's children. Now I'm not there yet by a long shot, but I hope that I'm able to see the day that my child, that my son, and any other kids that we may have grow up and be faithful to the calling that God has placed on them. Maybe you're already there and you've seen your kids grow up faithful to the Lord and are being used by them. It says, may you see your children's children. Proverbs 
says this, grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of the children is their fathers. Sort of credible to get to that point in life where you see your children walking in truth and walking in passive righteousness. I pray this for my son. One of the things, it's the, it's the scariest things I've ever prayed for is that God would use Dansby for his glory. It's so, it so difficult to pray that because it's so open-ended that God could use Dansby for his glory. What does that mean? That God would do whatever he wills for my son. That he would take him across the world. That even if it costs him his, his life. I struggle when I pray through that. Because I want the best for my son. But more than that, I want him to be used by God for his glory. And, and just to close, I think this is, this is my opinion. And you can take it for what it's worth. You know, in Scripture it says that, you know, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So it doesn't really matter um, so much what we think. Um, but I believe that fatherhood, the call to be a husband, the call to be a father, is one of the greatest callings that you can have. Because it's a unique calling to lay down your life for your family. To demonstrate the gospel. To demonstrate the Christ's love for us. That he laid down his life for the church. It's a clear picture of the church. That if we can do that, that we can lay down our life for our family. We demonstrate the gospel. So I encourage you to fear the Lord. Recognize the position that God has. That he loves you. But he's full of grace. Full of holiness. Full of power. And realize your need for a Savior. Fear the Lord. And then live to walk in obedience. This morning you may not, not be a father. You might not even be a, a man. But I hope that you would fear the Lord. That you would walk in obedience. And this morning if, if you're not a, a father. You desire to be a father. I want to encourage you to continue to pray. God's faithful. And even if he doesn't allow you, and even if he doesn't extend grace so that you can be a father, there are millions of fatherless children all around the world. And I think one of the coolest things, one of the clearest pictures of adoption of what God has done, he has adopted us into his family. One of the clearest pictures of that is for us to, to seek adoption, to be a father to the fatherless and if not anything, uh, I want to encourage you to get involved in your community. There are thousands of fatherless homes that you can get involved in your community, that you can be a part, you can mentor, and you can help raise and mold children who don't have a father at home. And you can be that, that person that shows and demonstrates the love of Christ. So if you desire to be a dad and you don't have that opportunity, I encourage you to seek that opportunity outside of your family. Even if you are a dad, you can mentor and be a dad to thousands of, of fatherless kids all around the world and here in our city. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much. Lord, you have, Lord, you have adopted us into your family, those who have put their faith in Christ. So because of that, because of Christ, the finished work on the cross, Lord, we are sons and daughters. Lord, and the implications of that are huge. Lord, we are heirs to everything that you have. 
And so, Lord, we're grateful for that. Lord, I'm grateful for that. Lord, I pray for just the men in this room, the urgency of being who you've called us to be as a man, as a father, as a husband is so great. Lord, help us to seek your will. Lord, give us strength, Lord, to walk in obedience to the things you've called us to in your word. Lord, to love you with all our heart, soul, and mind, to treasure you above all. Lord, to demonstrate that love to our families, to those who need the love of Christ. Lord, help us to, to see that as our calling, to live out the, the mission of God in our lives. God, I love you and thank you. It's in your name I pray.